Okay, we're in John chapter 9, and actually I'll probably just read the first seven verses. I'm not going to get too far today in the chapter. But we'll look at the first seven verses. Uh, John chapter 9, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation means sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do ask for your blessing upon the reading of the word, the Holy Spirit to minister it to us, to bring out those things in this passage for our understanding and for our edification in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I believe that these passages, such as the miracles of Christ, offer to us a unique opportunity to look at the practical side of Jesus' ministry. And we find that uh, Jesus ministered to people in the everyday walk of life. And uh, isn't that really what we should be doing as well? to ministering to people in the everyday walk of life. We don't need to just do it in the four walls of a building such as this. We can do it outside. And among the very people we have fellowship with and that we are talking with and that we uh, encounter along the way. And uh, I think it's interesting as we see here Uh, that this account could have taken place at the time when Jesus departed from the temple. Similar wording is used, in fact, from the last verse in chapter 8 to this one. It says, Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And then in verse 1 it says, And as Jesus passed by, it's kind of like it's almost a continuation of of events or circumstances, as he saw a man who was blind from his birth. Well, Jesus, I suppose, was always looking for opportunities. As we know, the Son of God uh, did meet a great many people in need. And as he passed by this man who was blind from his birth, And encountering him, he knew of an opportunity, in fact one that seemed to have been predetermined before the foundations of the world, that he might encounter this individual and heal him of his blindness. And how do we know that? Well, we'll look at that in a moment. Uh, First of all, the title, That God's Works May Be Made Known. That seems to be the thrust of what... Um, this circumstance is leading up to that the works of God may be made known. 
Um, it's not just healing this person and giving him sight. Although that is a wonderful thing indeed. Even as God does many things that are wonderful toward us. But we know that God does what he does that he might be glorified. And that his works may be made known. Well, so here he is we're going to be looking at this afternoon. First of all, is affliction the fault of sin? Well, it's kind of a question I suppose a lot of people ask. And um, sometimes we say, well, that could be the case. But is it always the case? And the disciples even bring this subject up here. And we might wonder why they brought that subject up as they did. Uh, secondly, this man is blind, but not by the transmission of sin. Well, that's kind of a technical term, the transmission of sin, meaning it passes from one person to another. And in this particular case, the thought was by the disciples that it was passed from the parent to the child. And Jesus says no. And uh, that's a unique thought. And there are some pretty strange theories about this sort of thing. But they usually depart from the orthodox sense of true Christianity. Thirdly, I must work the works of God. Well, this seems to be, as I said, the thrust of what Jesus meant to uh, reveal in this particular case. God wanted to, to accomplish something to reveal even greater the sense of Christ being the true Messiah and that the works of God were for Jesus to be glorified that he might be revealed as the true Christ of God the true Savior of the world because he is called the light of the world fourthly here uh, go wash in the pool of Siloam well it's interesting that Jesus always seems to make an individual somehow responsible in, this, in the miracles that he does. Uh, a certain man that he healed, uh, being lame, he tells him to, to pick up his bed and to walk. Well, he just couldn't just automatically be levitated and stand on his feet. No, Jesus said, pick up your bed and go. Uh, even the nobleman who had a son that was at home sick, um, the nobleman wanted him to go to his son and to heal him there. But Jesus says, no, just go your way. It's done. And he had to believe it. He had to, he had to believe it and go back home and find out for himself. And, you know, this man here, uh, it wasn't enough that Jesus just could, could heal him without even doing a thing. No, he, he put some clay on his eyes and, and then he says, you go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, a little bit of a practical human responsibility is a good season of salt upon the soul of humanity when God requires belief and faith. And that's what Jesus required. So we'll look at these areas here this afternoon. Um, so let's look at verse 1 and 2 and, and talk about the affliction and fault of sin. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. And so it seems that the disciples um, had some interesting thoughts of their own, uh, thinking that, first of all, uh, did this man sin? Well, remember, he was born blind. How could he sin in his mother's womb? He is born blind. He, is, he, he was born with this affliction, you see. And so, um, from what sense were they getting that? Well, there are many belief systems that think that sin is either passed on or somehow because of sin, someone may end up with a, an affliction. Well, even those in India who believe in reincarnation believe that, well, if you haven't done very good in this life, you may be reincarnated to a lesser person or even a creature of, of very less, lesser creation, such as an ant or a cow or a bug or something. If you were a really bad person, you might end up as a little frog in the pond swimming around in, in the mud. Uh, in other words, you know there were some there were some theories of of this sort of thing, um, and then even you know among Christianity there is some some theories about this. Transmission of sin is one of them. That sin is transmitted from one person to the other. Um, well, Jesus spoke about consequences of sin in the Old Testament, but it had to do with the fathers who were in sin and they did not correct it in their own children and so it ultimately led to the consequences of of a further downfall into sin or we might even think of families today you might say well if you grew up in an alcoholic family does that mean that your children are going to be alcoholics or if you grew up in a family where the father was a thief and is in prison does that mean that the sons and daughters are going to be thieves and go to prison no see that is that is kind of ridiculous isn't it but sometimes those notions are kind of passed along and even even in Christianity today among some of the charismatic movements you might find people who would say that somebody who has a particular affliction well it must be because of sin and you've got to repent and you to be healed of your sin and that's the only way you're going to get rid of it um, there are all kinds of little theories like that within, you might call them little anomalies that people hold, but they're not necessarily biblical. Uh, we do know that sin, the wages of sin is death, and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know this is a general truth of the Bible. It doesn't mean, Jesus wasn't saying by saying this that this man wasn't a sinner, as we all are born into sin. That is, with a sin nature. He wasn't saying that. But he was saying, no, he did no sin. He was born with this affliction. And his parents did not sin. That this particular affliction was upon this man. And so we always have to be careful about immediately ascribing sin to someone who is under some affliction. We should be careful of that. Because that is a kind of a judgment that really we should leave to God. And God can work out in a person's life. I know perhaps you have seen some of the, um, the images on television where they have the, the ship called Mercy and it goes around the world and it, and it um, 
they minister by medical research and operations and and uh, direct medical care to all kinds of children who have deformities and they may have a cleft palate or, or they may have a tumor or, or something of this nature. And, you know, we often wonder, well, why does God allow this sort of thing? But we know that the world is full of afflictions. And they're, they're not immediately caused by God in the sense that God says, oh, this one's going to be afflicted and that one isn't. This one's going to have this deformity and that one isn't. But God is the one who has made all men, all mankind. God is, God is the creator of all men, whether they be born blind or whether they be born lame or whether they be a paralytic, such as Jesus healed, or whether they be the centurion's son who was at home sick of the fever or this man who was born blind from his birth. Uh, these things are in the hand of God. Some people do bring sins upon themselves. We know that to be true. But Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples that this is not the case. Um, and so uh, they should immediately dismiss any sense of trying to judge this man. But rather, they should see him with the same compassion that Jesus meant for them to know. That God wanted to do something about healing this man and showing the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And so it is the, the wonder of this blindness uh, that they um, had in their mind, uh, he tried to dispel immediately. How could the blindness have been caused by his own sin when, when he was born this way? And did they believe in some form of reincarnation or traditionism or transmission of sins or something of this nature, um, then these things probably, these various belief systems were floating around. Um, let's face it, uh, we understand that there is nothing new under the sun and many belief systems have been around for a very long time, uh, including the ones that are not so biblical. And so we find that uh, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in them. And so as we consider the sense of, Is affliction the fault of sin? We would have to say, No, not necessarily. Although sin is a universal problem, we find that God meant in this particular case that uh, it was going to be to the glory of God. And this man uh, being blind, but not by the transmission of sins, not because of the father and mother, and not because of any sin of himself, because he definitely was born this way. And we find that there are many who are born with certain afflictions and infirmities you might even want to take it in a personal level. Have you suffered some affliction? Have you know somebody who has suffered an affliction? Uh, are you under an affliction right, right now? Uh, you see, and, and would you want somebody to say and point to you and say, well, oh, you must have sinned because you have this problem or you have that problem or some other problem. And uh, I would hope that none of us would want to point a finger to others and say that. Um, because... God is 
not only a God of, of love, but he is a God of grace and mercy. And we know that the corruption of the human flesh is what it is. And we do suffer from afflictions. And sometimes God even uses those afflictions, doesn't he? He uses an affliction because in, even in believers we find that sometimes we are afflicted in our, in our trials and in the various things which we go through. And then sometimes God allows chastening in our lives that he might correct us in some manner or other. And so there are many different reasons why that afflictions may be upon individuals or trials or various sufferings of some kind. But it's not as people usually think about it. Uh, God has a reason for the things that he allows, and therefore his glory. And so his disciples uh, did not have the right thought here in mind, and Jesus wanted them to know that. And uh, there are many people that we come in contact with that sometimes they have different views about things. But we should always seek the biblical answer rather than simply taking the rumor that people like to propagate. In verse 4, or rather at the end of verse 3, he says, Nor this, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest. That the works of God should be made manifest. Well, um, as we think about the God working in the lives of people who have afflictions, um, there are many who can give good testimony to the fact that God somehow has been with them during their times of afflictions, their sufferings. And um, we think of perhaps missionaries who have gone to foreign fields, such as Hudson Taylor, and uh, went to India, uh, well, not to India, but China. And, and there he worked among the Chinese people. And uh, I believe he lost his wife, and, his wife and children, perhaps, there. And William Carey, likewise, who went, I think, went to India. Um, and so they, he suffered greatly in the loss of family. And uh, there have been many Christians who have suffered under various kinds of, of things. And uh, we know that these things do happen. And God uses them in some way to glorify himself and bears us up in the midst of them. And so Jesus wanted them to know that uh, God would be glorified through this and that God's works would be manifest in this man who had been born blind. In verse 4 he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Well, uh, as we come to this part of the passage, we find that Jesus talks about the day and the night. He talks about uh, the time of his own ministry. Um, sometimes we use a passage like this in a missionary sense, and we use it to give a missionary thrust that we need to get out and to do the work of God now while we can. Well, <coughs> we know for, for uh, the circumstances that Christ was in that he did not have a great long period of time to do the work which he meant to accomplish of going to the cross and fulfilling the Father's will. Uh, his time on earth was really very brief. Um, from 30 years to 33 years, 
his public ministry beginning with John the Baptist and, and ending at the court of Pontius Pilate, um, we find that Jesus had a very short period of time to speak of those things that were important that he might reveal the will of God and then he might glorify the Father who is in heaven and show those works that would be glorifying to, to him. And uh, so as we think about that, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And so here we find the sense of day for Jesus was the time set for him. Time for him in particular. Because we know that he had a very short period of time. Night for the Lord Jesus probably was signifying the death of, of him. There would come a day when, when he would, his light would be put out, so to speak. Um, and he called himself the light of the world. But he even says um, here that, um, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Of course, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't continue to be the light of the world. It only means that that light which he shone as the true Messiah of God while he was present on the earth would be put out. And others would have to take up that light that Jesus Christ had lit upon the hearts and lives of people. Um, we find that the, the gospel even speaks about that. In John 8.12 he says, Jesus, the light of, the light of life, and then in Ephesians he says, we are now the lights of the Lord. Um, and so we become that light of Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. Lesser lights, and even the hymn writer said, let the lower lights be burning, uh, to send a gleam across the wave, that some poor wandering seaman may be rescued, may be saved, and so we find that our opportunity to serve the Lord is, is, is in that missionary sense that this verse is often used and employed. It's very true. Uh, Jesus was on the earth for a short period of time as the true light of the world, the Messiah of God, that he came into the world to save sinners and that he shone that light of God to show that he is the true Messiah of God, the true Savior of sinners. You see, he shows that to them all. But he says, there'll come a day when my light, I will leave. I will leave. That light will be, will be taken away. And, and, and you will have to be lights in the world. You will have to be the light uh, for me to tell them the light of the glorious gospel of Christ as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we find that that light of God is something that is born up in the hearts and lives of, of each individual. And so he says, I must work the works of God. I must work the works of God. Uh, works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. I can you imagine here is the Lord Jesus and he's only on the earth for a short period of time, uh, just a few years we might, as we know. And, and he is there to complete the Father's will. 
and we, we have a sense, you know, of wanting to get things done. We have a sense of, of accomplishing things in our lifetime. But here is Jesus, the Son of God. Here is God, in the, in the incarnate of God upon the earth. And, and he, is, he is focused on doing the Father's will. Of fully completing and giving glory to God and showing Himself as the Messiah of God, revealing Himself as the Savior of sinners, the fulfillment of the prophecy concerning Himself. And He is seeking to make the most use of that time that is possible. And uh, sometimes I suppose, you know, as we... Well, it should. As we grow older, we have a sense that our time is getting closer, drawing more, more closer nearer and nearer than we than ever thought before. Um, I believe it was Debbie that told me the little story about June Gilpatrick. She's a lovely Christian woman. She, woman. she went to Pastor Bob's church, of course, and, and uh, I think she was 90, maybe 2 or 3 or something like that when she died. And Debbie spent a lot of time with June and cleaning the house and taking care of her and doing things for her. And, and as June came closer to the time, she says to Debbie, she says, I can see the door in heaven opening. I can see the, the door in heaven opening for me. You know, it was, it's, it's like that. You know, she was, she was that close. She, she felt that close to, to going to be with the Lord. And her night was coming when no man can work anymore. And, and Jesus, here is his great task of fulfilling the Father's will. And he, it was still day for him. He was still that light which, which lit the world, which showed the world that he was the Messiah of God, the Savior, the fulfillment of Scripture according to the Old Testament prophecy. He lived the day when God promised that he should come and he should fulfill the Father's will. And, and now we find that uh, he tells his disciples that night, he must do this work now because night was coming. That night was coming. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And we can see this, the sense of, of you and I in this verse 2. Not only what he, what he lived, but his disciples. We has a sense of not only the disciples, but has a sense of you and I. Because our lives are very brief. In fact, nobody knows how long they're going to live. You know, there's a certain average lifespan that people have, but we have no true sense of when the end will come. We only kind of think, well, I've got probably another five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. Depends on what, we're, what age we're at. We, we, we think that way. And, and the, the night is coming when we won't be able to do work anymore as believers. And how important it is that we live for the Lord now while we can. And so, he says, I must work the works of God. I must work the works of God. And verse 4, as long as I am in the five, excuse me, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay 
of the spittle. And then, because a lot of questions have come up, well, why did Jesus do this? Why does he do this? Why does he write on the ground while there is an adulterous woman brought to him? Why does he make clay out of spittle and put it on somebody's eyes? Why does he say to a paralytic man, take up your bed and walk, when he's paralyzed? Why does Jesus do the things that he does, you see? And uh, it seems like the most practical explanation is that it is something, in a sense, that is a part of our everyday life. For the paralytic, you know, he had a mat that he laid on. And he couldn't... Jesus wanted him to just take it and take the responsibility, pick up the mat, and if you believe God can do this, get up and walk. If you believe God can do this, go to the pool and wash. Well, I guess the Old Testament story of Naaman was similar, wasn't it? Uh, The leprous, he had leprosy. And he thought it kind of ridiculous that he was going to go wash in a, in a dirty old river. But um, that's what the prophet said to him to do. And, uh, and so he finally did do it. And, and he was all clean when he came out. Now this man, he had a need to. He, he was blind. And he has always been blind. Can you imagine? You know, it must have been... An amazing thing to him to realize, well, Jesus just told me to go wash in the pool after he put some mud on my eyes. Something is going to happen. I believe God is going to do something. Now, how did he get to the pool? Well, he probably had some idea where it was, even though he had never seen it. Maybe he was going to ask a friend to take him there. Or maybe he was close enough so that he knew the general direction and he would just keep going and ask people along the way. It doesn't make any difference. The fact is, he was to go. And he found his way there and he washed and he came seeing. Human responsibility is something God requires of us. And we find that just that picture on the front of the bulletin there, you know, it's kind of graphically displaying some sense of, of Jesus anointing his eyes. But not with, with lovely oil, not with some perfume, not with some medical mag- ma- magic potion. No, with mud. <laughs> the very thing that we're made of. <laughs> we're made of dirt and, and a little water. <laughs> the material of, of the earth created out of the dust of the ground and Jesus anoints his eyes and and so he goes it would require faith our faith for him and so he goes in verse 7 and said unto him go wash in the pool of Siloam go wash and the word psalm, as you can see here, means sent. Means sent. And guess who asked him to go? The one who was sent. Years ago, when, when uh, I, right after I first became a Christian and I was attending church at 
Calvary Bible Church in Kiesa Falls, or at that time it might have been actually the Advent Christian Church, might have been uh, at that time because they changed the name after. But I think Pastor Root was there at that time. And we had a missionary um, that came to the church and um, might have been missionary from, from COME, Commission on Missionary Evangelism. Uh, but he was passing out these little pens, you know, little tie tacks. It was a little cross, and it says sent right across it. A little cross, and it says sent. I still have it. I wear it once occasionally. I wore it a lot uh, throughout my ministry. And Jesus, Jesus sends people. He sends people out, like you and me. You know, the same kind of people that wash their face every morning with the same kind of water and that this, this man washed his face with. It was the pool of Siloam, the pool called Sent. And we're sent. And Jesus was the one who was sent. And what a practical truth for us. We're sent by God. And this man was sent to the pool. He went to the pool because Jesus sent him there. Because he was the one that was sent to send him. <laughs> and, and so he goes washing in, in, in water that is called sent. And then later Jesus would send his disciples out into the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The church is a called out assembly. It is sent. The whole church is sent. It's been from the very first century when Christ died for our sins. We've been sent to preach the gospel of Christ. And, and so it was wonderful truth that is embedded within the whole thing of what Jesus is all about and what he is saying. And after he went and washed, it says, He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Faith. Faith. It was all for the glory of God. But notice that God didn't discount who he had healed. God has two purposes involved. Not only to glorify the Father, to glorify the Son, and one and the same, Father and the Son, but to change the life of those he encounters. He changes our lives. No, see, there's no. This man was the same as he was before. The only difference was he was now seeing spiritually and physically. He was seeing. You see, that's what happens to us too. We we see physically, and we see spiritually after we have come to Christ. And I sent out. We see physically and spiritually. And so the the type of all of this is very very telling upon our lives. 
And this man was changed forever. He was changed. He had faith now. He believed God. He believed in the Christ who was sent. And he changed him. And it glorified God. And the works of God, of God were made manifest. That God's works may be made known. And we'll just end with this thought. That's why you were here too. You were here for the same reason. That the works of God may be made known. In your own life and in others. And there's a, a myriad of ways that God can accomplish that. Many different ways God can accomplish that. But it begins by faith. Let us pray. Loving Father, we do thank you for your word and ask for your blessing, Lord, that you will continue that work within us which you have, been, which you have begun, that work of faith. Even as you have washed our eyes, even as we have begun to see and see the things of, of life in a true spiritual sense now, that we might go forth seeing, believing, and being sent of you to manifest the works of God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.